Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. This whole hour and just do Q&A with with Steve, we've got a whole list of questions here we're going to work through. If you were at the training earlier, some of these are going to uh, overlap, but some of them will not. Uh, For those of you who weren't at the training, you you get to hear uh, things afresh, but... um, want to talk more about um, sharing your faith and about um, what that looks like day to day, what are some challenges to that, um, and various things related to that. So, um, Steve, we'll start. Um, could you, I think this is pretty self-explanatory, just so that we're all on the same page, could you give us a definition of evangelism? Yeah, my definition would be the act of sharing the gospel with lost people and calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Okay. Yeah, so that's good. Just, just want to make sure we're on the same page with what we're talking about here. Uh, that, that's very specifically that. Um, so what are some common reasons the average Christian doesn't share their faith? We talked about some of them in the training, but, but not everybody was here for that, so... Mm-hmm. Some of the obstacles, uh, the obstacle of of comparison, uh, a person, when they think about witnessing, they think about some preacher they know or some Sunday school teacher, somebody who can really teach, and they think that to be a witness, they have to be able to preach or be as eloquent as someone who is on the stage or someone, maybe like a Charles Stanley or some television preacher, uh, that could be an obstacle. Also, people... uh, Naturally, we all do this. We become inward focused and we think about ourselves. Uh, and that, that, that's true of corporate life, church, but it's true also of just individual. I, I think more about myself, about things, and I don't think about, you know, the lostness of my neighbor. And, and I'll tell you how that, how that plays out. So I can get in my car and load my family up on Sundays and wave at the neighbor who's putting his golf clubs in his car, knowing that that man's lost, and it doesn't even break my heart. It doesn't break my heart because I'm just, I'm focused on me, and uh, lack of a strategy, uh, no intentionality. In other words, just, uh, I'll give you an example. Last week, in fact, and I've been doing this a long time, I contacted two guys I know. Uh, One's a pastor in Columbus, and he just went in there. So I texted him and said, hey, because where he went is kind of a rougher part of Columbus, uh, where his church is. So I, cont- I texted him and said, hey, when you get settled, I said, when the dust settles, because he just moved there, when the dust settles, uh, give me a call. I'd love to go door to door with you if that's the type of neighborhoods around your church that would be effective. I really didn't do that for him. I did it for me. It's intentionality that once he sets that date up, it means I've got to go down there and knock on doors. 
that's good for me. Second, I texted a association missionary in northeast Georgia who has a lot of mission teams in the summer. I said, hey, with your mission teams, do y'all do any like door-to-door street witnessing? And he told me they did. Uh, I did that because I want that part of, part of my strategy because I know myself and also know other, I know how we are as people. If I'm not careful, I can stay busy doing what I'm doing tonight. And this is good. But if I'm not careful, five years from now, I may look back and say, I've done a lot of talking to church people about evangelism, but I haven't actually done it. So lack of strategy. Uh, no ownership of, of the Great Commission. In other words, we know there's a Great Commission, but there's really no ownership. I don't, really, I don't think it's mine. I think it's you know, for an evangelist or for the pastor or so, but someone else needs to do it. And the biggest thing I mentioned today, I think fear, just afraid. What, what will somebody think of me if I start talking about Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so something that um, I think stood out that, that I'll have you comment on that we did in the training was um, um, recognizing you are, you're a missionary and, and taking that everywhere you go because, um, you know, something that I know that we all do, and especially for men, um, men compartmentalize their lives. Women don't do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an old analogy that men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti because all of women's lives are tangled together, but men can, are very able to compartmentalize their life into boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses to both of those, but um, it's the simple fact that um, it's easy for me to, you know, when I go to the gym, you talked a lot today about, you know, witnessing you do at the gym. When I go to the gym, I put my headphones on and I'm in workout mode. And that's what I'm doing in that moment. I'm not in, I don't have my witnessing hat on at that time. Yeah. And when I go to the grocery store, I'm, I've got my grocery buying hat on, not my witnessing hat. So how do we, how do we make sure that we always have that, that, that uh, missionary mindset everywhere we go and everything that we do? So the intentionality of of doing things like this. So on my desk at home right now, and actually I'll say this, it's not just on my desk at home. If you went to my car right now and you can do this when you leave, if you want to, unless I think about a book or something on my passion side, but on the passion side, I've got some little notebook thing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's pages of script notes as I drive. The top page has these two words, share Jesus. That's not for you. I wrote that down as a reminder the next week or so as I travel around, make sure I'm sharing Jesus. I also uh, have a post-it, stick-it note on my desk. And by the way, it's not, it doesn't stay there forever. I just, I just put one on there the other day. I'll probably leave it on there three or four days, throw it away. And probably within three or four weeks, I'll think, I might need to put another note on there. I'm constantly putting stuff on my phone. I love the smartphones because it's a pop-up reminder. So there's a pop-up reminder uh, that I, I've got some that's there every week, but I'll do like a pop-up reminder every once in a while. I'll say, you know, hey, this week you really need the, you know, I won't say it this way, but share Jesus this week. And it's a reminder to me that maybe I've went a few days and wasn't quite as intentional because I'm just telling you, if you're not intentional, you, you won't do evangelism. Uh, people who are really good at evangelism often say this, a church 
and an individual never drifts towards evangelism. We always drift away from it, meaning this. You can be part of a church uh, that is as evangelistic as any church ever. It could be evangelistic for 30 years. If it gets its eyes off of it, within two or three months, they can cease being evangelistic. It's hard to be evangelistic. It's easy to stop being it. So I think just the intentionality of, like say, owning your role as a missionary and like coming to something like this, actually leaving and saying, what do I need to do to make sure that if we do something like this two years from now, I've actually been doing something from this meeting. And, I, and to me, it's taking notes. It's, it's, it's iPhone reminders uh, on my calendar. Uh, it's accountability with some other people just who will ask me the question, hey, that, and that's not the only question. I mean, they'll ask me questions like, hey, what, what have you been doing in your devotion life? They'll ask me questions about my marriage or whatever. But one question is, uh, hey, talk to some about sharing Jesus. What, what, what are you doing to actually share Jesus? And most of us in church don't have that. We don't have, we don't have that accountability of anybody ever asking us questions. And obviously, if someone asks me that question, I've asked them to do it. But secondly, no one would ask you that question who didn't care for you. Anybody who asks you a question, hey, how's your prayer life? That, that person must really care for you. Someone who asks you the question, what are you studying your devotion life? That person must really care for you. And somebody who asks you the question once or twice a month, hey, what, when's the last time you got to have a gospel conversation? Again, that person must really care for you because they're wanting to hold you to some accountability. So I have, some, I have those things in my life. So, and I think, if you, I think if the average Christian implemented that, it would be easier to stay on mission because uh, again, if you don't, if you don't, uh, you'll find yourself going months, maybe years without witnessing. When I was on church staff, uh, especially when I got a seminary, that was back before people had cell phones. Uh, so, meaning I didn't put it on my calendar on my phone. I didn't have one. In those days, I often used the Billy Graham Steps of Peace with God, and still use it some. Uh, so in those days, I would sometimes drive home from church and find myself convicted because it'd be, be like the Lord is speaking to my heart. When have you witnessed? And quite honestly, I, I, I was associate pastor. I drove to a church office. I spent all day around pastors and staff members and secretaries. They were all saved. And any meeting I had in the church was lay people, and they were all saved. So what I did back in those days, I didn't do it every day, but once or twice a week, I'd get out of my car and I would reach on the console door and lay a Billy Graham track on my, on my driver's side. And what that was for me, I was telling myself, when you get in this car tomorrow morning, do not drive the church first thing. Drive by, drive by and get you a cup of coffee or something. The, the funny thing is, there's free co coffee at the church. But I had to have a reason going to a convenience store, so I'd, I'd buy me a cup of coffee, and I would share Christ. I'm, just I'm saying that for this reason. When you're on staff and you have to go to that, that degree to witness, but I will tell you something from traveling around Georgia for 30 years, in private with pastors, I would never mention names, over a cup of coffee, I often ask them, tell me the last time outside the church that you asked share Jesus. I have passed. Sometimes I say, you know, it's, it's probably been a couple, three years. In other words, it's very common 
for all of us to talk about Jesus inside, inside the walls of the church. And so I only share that to let you know, if I don't stay intentional, I'll get my mind on a lot of good things. Because I think what we're doing tonight is good. But I'll neglect the actual practice of sharing faith with people who need to hear about Jesus and stuff. So, Yeah, yeah, a lot of that really resonates. Um, it's, um, you know, I, as a pastor, I see my primary job to be a shepherd. But, but as a Christian, one of my main jobs is to evangelize. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to forget that. And it's easy to, um, you know forget to do it. Um, what are some particular challenges in evangelism in 2023 in the culture that we live in? Yeah, a few things. Uh, the primary obstacle or challenge is apathy. Just It's just, again, using my neighbor illustration, Knowing in my heart, I don't think about it, but knowing in my heart that guy's lost. I mean, he has no spiritual connection to a church, just the way he lives. Uh, and quite frankly, not even realizing. In other words, that's what apathy is. If I'm apathetic, I wouldn't even use this illustration because you'd say, I never thought about it. That's what apathy is. I don't think about the fact that the, the waitress is lost. I don't think about the fact that uh, there's a guy at the gym that you can talk about everything under the sun, but it doesn't dawn on me, what is he saved? And then if I had somebody who would hold me accountable, maybe they would say, would you not think it's strange that you talk to this guy three or four times a week and you've got the greatest news that the world's ever heard about the love of Jesus? And uh, so I think apathy is huge. Uh, awareness and understanding of lostness, uh, I think we've got to, uh, keep a mindset that people are lost, which I think praying for lost people helps us do that. Uh, and, and let me give you an example. Because we don't have an awareness of lostness, when I pastored, I would hear things like this sometimes. Maybe somebody would be praying for a person or thinking about a person who has cancer. Well, we know he's lost. He never got saved. But when he dies, the same people would say, well, he's better off now. He's in pain. Well, the reality is, I never said this because, you know, but in my mind, thinking, the reality is if what we believe is true, he's not better off now. If there's a heaven or hell, he's worse off than he's ever been. And I think just keeping an awareness that people I know who to me, from a human standpoint, they're friendly to me. They, they, they are kind uh, neighbors who, if my house burnt, they, they, they'd give me money if I needed it. If I have a flat tire, they'd help me change it. But without Jesus, they're not going to heaven. And so just an awareness of lostness. Uh, our culture, busyness and self-centeredness. Uh, just I'm just busy. I'm going to be honest with you, that's, that's always a struggle. The struggle is if you, if you start investing in somebody who's lost, they may show up at your house. They may call you. It may, it may be inconvenient. And uh, you have to press beyond that obstacle because, like I say, by nature, we're all self-centered. And I'm talking about from the viewpoint of that we, uh, it's why Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. 
Everybody loves himself. And even somebody who says, well, I had a friend who committed suicide. Oh, he loved himself. He, he, had, he, had, a big pro- he had such a big problem that to relieve it, he thought he'd kill himself. Everybody loves themselves. And uh, I think just to work through that business and self-centeredness, uh, intimidated by the, by the changing culture. And God did, did us a huge favor because I was talking earlier to someone about history. Uh, most of us live in the present. And any history we think about is our lifetime. So, you know, we don't, th- we don't think about 1800s or si- we, we, we think about our lifetime. And so we think of a change in culture and we think, well, it's never been this bad. Actually, it has been. It's been worse than what it is today. And I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul ministered in cities, for example, and there's a lot of these examples. So he went to Corinth. In Paul's day, one of the worst uh, things you could say about a person is you've been Corinthianized. That was a, that was a bad thing to say because it meant you just have no morals. When he walked into Corinth, there was a temple that had a thousand paid prostitutes. Men believed that you could pay a prostitute and have sex and that, that, that relieved your sin. You had no more sin. As of right now in America, we may have that one day. We do not have that yet. So could it get worse? It could. But here's the deal. Paul went in there and won people to Jesus. He started church. In fact, First and Second Corinthians came out of that. And so those examples tell me that no matter where God has us, uh, you could be in Babylon with a Daniel. Daniel lived for God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived for God. So the examples in Bible is no matter where I am, if I want to, I can be a witness for Christ. And the gospel is more powerful than any culture. The gospel is more powerful than any sin that someone has if they want to turn and accept that grace. Uh, and let me say this also. Uh, one of the obstacles today is, and this has changed since I've been in ministry, when I grew up, say high school, uh, obviously there's no computers, there's no, as far as everybody, everybody having a computer, there's no World Wide Web. The world is a smaller place today. So when I grew up in a very small town in Texas, if you asked me as a high school student, name, name the homosexual students, I, I'm sure there must have been some. I didn't know, I didn't know any. Uh, I do know this, if you ask me, name a couple of Muslims. Muslims? Uh, there was black people and white people in the town, in the school I went to. I, there, was no, there was nobody else. So here's the, here's, here's the implications. So when I pastored, it was not uncommon. For example, I was in Romans one time. So in Romans 1, it talks about homosexuality. So, you know, if you're preaching that, you're going to preach on it. I, I would always have on things that three or four teenagers come to the guest reception. They're not mad, but they have a question. So you think homosexual people are going to hell. Because, see, their culture is this. They've never known a day where they didn't know homosexuals. And so they think, well, I've got a friend of mine's homosexual, and he's a good guy. Or, Pastor, can I ask you a question? You keep saying Jesus is the only way. Uh, 
I've got one of my best friends in algebra is a Muslim. See, I never faced that. So there is an obstacle that you have to, you have to take them back to Scripture and say, here's why, and the world's become a smaller place. So I think, I think those, are, those are obstacles today that the world is a smaller place, and uh, it's, uh, it's affected the way people think about Jesus being the only way. And things, of course, the Bible calls sin because it is so in the open today, it affects younger minds uh, from that perspective. And, and I would say this also. Even when I pastored, uh, I occasionally, not every week, but probably once a quarter, I would pause and say some of this from the pulpit, that if you ever have a question about what I'm preaching, take a note and ask your Sunday school teacher. And the reason is, if you're, when you start reaching people, and let's just say you're preaching on, on John chapter 1, and you didn't intend to do this, but just in preaching, an illustration came to you, you said, what's well, kind of like Moses? There are people, if your church is large enough, there are people who don't know, if, they don't know who Moses is. They, they, if you're reaching enough students today, their parents dropped out of church. Sometimes, sometimes not just their parents, it could be their grandparents. But a lot of teenagers today who have parents who are 40s, the parents raised in church, but when the parents graduate high school, they stop going. So those kids have either never been to church or they've been to church a very few times. And so that's an obstacle because, and, and this is a serious thing, I, I would have people ask me, so is this Abraham live around here? And it's like, no, he actually lived a few thousand years ago in Genesis. I'm just telling you that that's an obstacle because when you talk to people today, unchurched people are not like unchurched people 40 years ago. They, they don't, there's no Bible knowledge, and so uh, that doesn't change our preaching. It just means I had to, every once in a while, let people know, some of you may not know some of these names I throw out. That's what small group is for. You can ask, it's a discussion. You can ask questions and stuff. So I think those are obstacles. So. Yeah. Um, thinking through some of the things you just said about culture, I think that's a, that might be a, something that causes trepidation in sharing the faith is that you know the kind of landmines you're going to hit culturally. Um, you know, if you start talking to somebody about Jesus, well, are they going to immediately throw, you know, transgenderism at you or critical race theory or... Um, you know, it's going to be an atheist, and they're going to ask you, well, what about this contradiction in the Bible in First Chronicles 24 that I haven't read recently? Um, so um, when those things come up, do we go down that rabbit trail, or do we stay on the gospel? And, you know, th there's often this thing, especially when, you know, ministering to, like, homosexuals, where people will say, well, you've got to you've, you've got to, you know, build a really strong friendship with them before you share the gospel with them, and... and I agree with that to an extent, but I'm also heralding news that they may that they may only have a week longer to hear before before they die. And so, what's the balance in that of of you know I've got to build a relationship first, and then but but of also sharing them urgent news that they don't have much time left to hear. I think that's several questions thrown in there, yeah. but but you can answer that as best as yeah. So on the first part. I don't ever get off the gospel. I just, don't, I just don't get off the gospel. What I will say is, when they ask the question, I'll say, that's a great question. Let's talk about it later. 
I find nine percent of the time they don't we don't get back to it. In other words, that we I just tell them the gospel. Secondly, if if something uh, is at if they do bring something back up, if you don't know the answer to it, uh, it's real easy. You can just say that's a great question. Uh, that's probably that's probably and, my, and I've I always say this. That's probably a great question for my pastor to answer. Would you like for him to give you a call? And sometimes they'll say yes or no. And the great thing about that is if they do want the pastor to call, I'm able to tell the pastor this is the question so they can, the pastor can be prepared. What I've told people before, and by the way, even someone like me, I'll be honest with you, I'm not an apologetic. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm not, there, there are people who can tell you about every manuscript and this happened. That's not who I am. Uh, I would not call myself a theologian, although some people would say anybody who's a Christian is a theologian. But I'm not like a professional theologian. Uh, that's not who I am. And so I've told people before, I said this more when I was younger, but I occasionally still say it. And this is true for me to say it because it's true of me. I'm not mechanical. I mean, I'm not the least mechanical person. So I'll say some of this. I'll say, hey, I've had a Honda Accord before that got 300,000 miles on it, never had any problem. I can give you a testimony. What a great car. Now, if you want to know everything about it, there, there are engineers who designed that car. They can, they can use terminology that you might not even understand. They know everything about the car. And I would just use that sometimes to let people know, just because I don't know everything about everything in the Bible uh, or what they think is an apparent contradiction uh, does not mean it is. Uh, and, of course, the problem with Scripture anyway is if you get into all the documents, uh, it, it would take you a day or two to really go to give them the answer that the theologians would give you. I mean, I, I've read enough about it. I, I know about it, but I'm just saying it, it gets you off track. And what I've discovered, I do a lot of witnessing, that when questions come up that I normally just say, that's a great question, uh, Let's talk about that later. They normally don't bring it back up, and that way it, it keeps me it keeps me on the gospel. Uh, trying to think what your other questions were. Uh, building relationships. Yeah, building relationships. I think it's a both hand. Uh, I would never. If a person's main strategy in witnessing is I build relationships, the problem is it takes a long time to do that. You may never get around the witnessing. So I think it's a both and. I would never be afraid to share the gospel with anybody. Even somebody, if I met somebody and knew that I was going to be able to build a relationship, uh, I still wouldn't say, well, give me six months. I would be afraid that, let's just say it's my gym. I might come in one day and somebody might say, hey, hey you're about Frank. And what about him? Hey, you got killed in a car work yesterday. And I'd be like, well, Lord, I had my plan. I was going to give it six months to get to know him, and I was only three weeks away from that six months. I would never do it. I would not be afraid to share with him. But, but if he's not ready, I obviously would build that relationship. Uh, and anybody in my circle of influence, once I witness one time, I don't every time I see him, I'm not going to witness. Um, once I do it one time, I'm going to be very sensitive to what God wants me to do. I also know that when I witness in my circle of influence and people know where I stand, that often they may come back. And, and even people who don't know me well, but just in that circle, they may come back and say, hey, can I talk to you? And they'll say something like, man, my wife's thinking about leaving me. 
And as bad as that is, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this may be something that God's going to get your attention with that we can talk more about the gospel. And I've had a number of people on my prayer list who I've gotten a call, I mean, like 10 years later, just, I mean, been trying to work with them, and they're not really somebody interested, but I get a call somebody saying, hey, do you, have you heard about so-and-so? No, what's up? Man, they had a major stroke yesterday. We're not sure they're going to live. And I've walked in the hospital rooms before uh, to visit and uh, say something like, hey, and call my name, but hey, uh, heard about this one to come. And they say to me, oh, I, I knew you'd come. And, and what they're saying is, I knew you were coming, and I know why you, you're here, and they're more open to it. So I, I think it's not an either or, it's a both hand. But I will tell you from statistics and surveys that I've read, the person who only witnesses through relationships normally never witnesses. Because what they say is, well, I'm going to wait till I really build. And what happens is they never, they never find a time in that relationship where they actually start witnessing. Because the truth is, if you're, if you're not witnessing and you want to start, you already have relationships. Just start with those people that you've had 5, 10, 20-year, 30-year relationships. Uh, but I think it's a both and, not an either or. Is that it? Was there another one there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's honestly the, the relationship thing is um, at times been a crutch that I've held on to, and I think it's a crutch that a lot of people hold on to of, of I've, I've got to build the relationship before I, before I talk to them, and it's really just procrastination. Um, Along the same line is what are some challenges in 2023? What are some particular challenges in evangelism in the South? Um, I was, when I was in seminary, um, I felt called to come and pastor in the Bible Belt. Um, and some days that, that's a really hard thing that I, I wish I hadn't been called to because it's, it's, there's, it's a different kind of mission field than, you know, we, we've got a, a guy who used to be in our church uh, in, on a mission trip in Portland, Oregon right now. Um, he's, he's probably having a much different experience there than what I have here. Even though that place is darker, um, often in the dark places, the gospel is, is best received. Whereas here, sometimes it, it feels like you're, um, plowing against concrete. Um, and so what are some, what are some challenges evangelizing in the South? And I would start by saying the same list as above, because in the South, you still have a lot of, uh, the same issue of apathy and those things. Uh, and, and in some ways, there's not, there's not as much of a Bible Belt as there used to be. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Someone who, I was talking to someone today who, uh, in fact, you're back there, been a member here 60-something years. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet, based on my study of church, I bet 60 years ago, if you had a revival meeting, I bet this thing was packed out. You know, everybody, every, the community people would come. We don't live in that day anymore. So, so that part of the Bible Belt's kind of gone. The challenge in what we call the Bible Belt is that there's still a segment of people, although that's disappearing, there's still a segment of people who have heard enough about Jesus that when you talk to them, although they're lost, they think they're going to heaven because they're a pretty good person. Uh, I don't do this as much anymore, but I used to almost all the time. Uh, I used to, in hotel rooms, if I stayed a day or two, would almost always talk to housekeepers and uh, anybody that works at a hotel and ask them, how long have you lived around here? 
and would ask them a question, hey, you can do me a favor, I'm working with the church this week. In your opinion, no right or wrong, your opinion, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? And I found that normally about 97% of the time uh, they said something that wasn't biblical. Well, if you just try to be the best you can be. Uh, well, I've been baptized a couple times. Uh, you know, well, if you don't hurt anybody, you know, just try not to hurt people. Just try to, try, try, try to live a clean life. And so you have to somehow break through that more so, I think, here than, say, if you minister in Chicago or New York or, or somewhere, somewhere like that. So, Yeah, yeah definitely. There's, there's, there's cultural barriers everywhere. Just some of them look like transgenderism and some of them look like, you know, good old boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. um, so uh, the pastor who ordained me, I still listen to his sermons every week, and he, um, he said he's up in Kentucky, and he... He said in a sermon a few weeks ago, um, it's, we often talk about the Christians in China and how hard they've got it that it's illegal to go to church there. Um, and he said, the fact is, though, it's not illegal to go to church in China. It's illegal to witness in China. There's a, there's a state church in China that you can yeah. go to. Um, it's illegal to witness in China. And... Um, Yet we know that China is growing like crazy in in conversions. Here it's free; you can witness all you want for you know without any fear of consequence. And the United States is decreasing in number of conversions. So why do you think that is? So I'll just use Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist is a harvest-oriented denomination in an unseated generation. In other words, if you came to the training day, we talked about the example of, of Jesus using the, the word harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Sowing seeds. We used to sow more seeds. And so we don't sow seeds like we used to. We used to sow seeds. I'll, I'll give you an example. Because I go to so many churches, it's not unusual for me to being a church and there's like a little library because we don't use we don't because of the we don't use libraries like we used to but they still have a little library and they've got some of these books from the 40s and 50s some of y'all may remember uh in the 60s by the way you you pull off a little book that's you know they all look the same like this big real small but it's hardback Herschel Hobbs wrote it or somebody it's a Sunday school lesson for teachers if you'll pull those out and flip through them almost every Sunday school lesson is reminding the teacher to present the gospel. Pull out, pull out a Lifeway book today. In other words, we used to weave evangelism through everything we did. Everything, everything talked about witnessing and evangelism and so on. And we don't do that as much. And so what happens is we don't, we don't have a culture where the gospel is seeded a whole lot. The average person, just like, just like, it's why the day in the training I could point, and I do this all the time, it, it, I never, it never fails. I can point someone and say, do you know everybody in your town? Of course not. So since you don't know any, everybody, and there's churches everywhere, I suppose people who don't know you, you're going to get witnessed to a lot. The answer is always, nope, I haven't been witnessed to at all this year. Uh, and that would be true of me. No, no, nobody in Tifton, I've been in Tifton a lot the last four weeks. I have not had anybody in Tifton say anything like, hey, friend, I don't know if you go to church anywhere. They don't know me as far as I know. I live in Tif- Tifton. But 
they don't ask those questions. So uh, today's a great example. Three people got baptized. There were some tears in people's eyes. Why? We like it. That's great. We applauded after every baptism. We like it. The reason we don't see that more often is Tifton is an unseated city. In other words, most people, you talk to most people, they're not going to say, oh, man, I hear, I hear about Jesus five times a week. No, no, they don't. People are not talking to their neighbors. People are not witnessing. And uh, that's why we're not seeing, that's my opinion, is why we're not seeing the growth of Christianity like we do in some other countries and other places and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, well, it's not good, but it's it's true. Um, what is the role? We're a Baptist church, so we don't think too much about the Holy Spirit. But um, <laughs> um, what role does the Holy Spirit play in evangelism? Thinking Acts one eight, um, you will receive power. Um, can you evangelize without the Holy Spirit? No, absolutely not. It's a uh, Holy Spirit has a specific task. He convicts people of sin. So obviously when we're witnessing, we know as we speak the gospel, the Holy Spirit draws people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. Today, uh, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who's a chaplain in Texas. He pastored for a long time. He's a chaplain now. He's a hospice chaplain. Witnesses all the time. Uh, he called me about a week ago and said, pray for a person I've talked to. Uh, she's 52 years old. He said she's in hospice care at home, and she's not, barring a miracle, she's not going to live. And he said, but she's a universalist. And I talked to her one time, and she's not really interested. And I called if I come back, and she said, he said she wasn't mad. She said, I'd rather you not. He said, well, I'd love to come. He said, no. She said, no, if you come and pray for me, you don't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about Jesus. The reason she doesn't want to talk about Jesus is because when he talks about Jesus, it's convicting. When she talk, in other words, if he said, I'd love to come and talk to you, I, I love dogs, she might be bored, so, okay, whatever. But, the work, but Jesus, there's somebody, there's somebody talking about Jesus because the Holy Spirit draws people. So the Holy Spirit convicts, it illuminates, it illuminates uh, people to accept Christ and so on. Uh, you know, Jesus said, uh, nobody can come in unless the Father draws them. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the part of the Godhead that, that draws us to Christ, that convicts us, uh, teaches us truth, and so on. It, it, I think the best faith of the message is it illuminates us. It, that's the part the Holy Spirit plays in salvation, illuminates our mind. Uh, so it, it's a major role. And I will say this. It's something to keep in mind because anytime I don't do this every time, but a lot of times when I'm witnessing, I think about the fact I'm not doing this by myself. I may be, I'm the verbal witness of what the gospel is about according to scripture, but the Holy Spirit plays a far greater role than I would ever play because the Holy Spirit is drawing people. Yeah, you said earlier, uh, I forget when, you said that um, anytime you're witnessing, you, that person's outnumbered because there's yeah. a second person there with you, and that's, that's helpful for me to remember because I, I always say that I'm really good at witnessing when there's someone with me, but mm -hmm. if I'm by myself, I just freeze up. Yeah but I'm never by myself when yeah. it comes to that. Uh, yeah. There's always somebody with me. Um, when you're witnessing, when you're talking to somebody about the gospel, um, well, actually, let me backtrack. Um, when you're 
let's say I'm, you know, trying to win my coworker to Christ, and not me because I don't have a lost coworker, but um, yeah. let, let's say that I'm trying to win my coworker or my neighbor. Um, do I have to share the, the whole gospel every time I talk to them about Jesus? Yeah, the answer is no. So uh, to lead someone to Christ, the whole gospel would have to be shared unless they've heard it before. But in planting seeds, sometimes we're just planting part of the gospel. In other words, we don't, we don't always have, if I always had to have a certain amount of time, I might look at my watch and say, well, this person about to wait on me at the convenience store <laughs> for me to you know, pay for a cup of coffee or whatever, bottle of water, there's people behind me. I don't have time. But there are some things I can say or there's some things, uh, you know, that I can put in their heart that's gospel seeds. Uh, an example would be uh, somebody says, uh, you know, are you doing good today? And, you know, you say, I, I have friends that do this all the time. They're like, hey, since I've met Jesus, I'm doing good every day. That's not the gospel, but you never know. I mean, you just don't know what God may do with that little thought. And so I think it's, again, not a both hand. It's an, it's an, I mean, excuse me, it's not either or it's a both hand. Uh, but if the person came to me or I got the talk and they said, I, 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 need, I, I need Jesus, then obviously I'm going to take the time to walk them through the gospel, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the fact that we've sinned and what God's done and so on. Uh, yeah, yeah my, one of my mentors, seminary professors, is, calls it speaking a good word for Jesus. Look for opportunities to speak a good word for Jesus. Um, uh, an easy, well, probably the easiest way to evangelize is just to invite someone to church. Um, is that, is that enough, or, or is that not enough when it comes to evangelizing? It's not enough, but inviting people to church is a huge thing. It's a great thing to do because when they come to church, they can hear the gospel, and also if they if they keep coming to church. Uh, an unchurched adult that comes to starts coming to church, there's like a 95% chance if they keep coming, they're going to get saved. Sitting under the, the Bible, being in a Sunday school class, uh, just just elevates their uh, percent of ever getting saved. It's just it's just so it's great it's great to do. Uh, Andrew in Scripture did not lead Simon, his brother, of course we call him Peter, to Christ. He went to him and said come and see. So he invited Peter to meet Jesus, and Jesus is the one that ultimately, you know, told who he was, and Peter ultimately accepted Christ. Uh, so I, I would invite people, but I would also look for opportunities to uh, share the gospel. What I would do, and I call it my circle of influence, I would find someone to pray about and I would, I mean, and I would just make a, I would make myself a note, this is, I'm going to pray for them every day. This is, I mean, I'm not saying I'm praying two hours a day, but I'm, they're part of my prayer. I'm praying for them. And then I'm going to uh, invite, I'm going to try to look for options to invite in the church. I know y'all know this, but I'm going to go ahead and make sure. So when I say I'm going to invite them to church, so I invite my next door neighbor to church, that doesn't mean every time I see them, hey man, come church, come church. It doesn't mean that, that, they look out the window and they're about to leave for work and they tell their wife, well, I'm gonna, I may be late for work, but Steve Foster's out there and he's, I'm going to wait until he leaves because he's going, I know what he's going to do. I don't want to do that. Once I invite my time or two, I'm going to keep praying for them. 
And here's what I'm going to do with the invitation to church. Based on who they are, for example, let's say they have a second and fifth grader. I'll make myself a note. Hey, when's Vacation Bible School in 2024? And if you know it already, I'm going to make myself a note on my calendar. So it pops up two, two three weeks before Vacation Bible School. Remember to invite them. Why? They've got a second grader and, a, say, a fourth grader. So I'm going to go and invite them. Uh, hey, we're having Vacation Bible School. Your kids would love it. That's a natural time to invite me. I'm going to invite them for Easter if there's a special Christmas program. Occasionally, I may listen to the pastor say, next month we're starting a new series. I might say, that's a series that the person on my prayer list, I think they might be interested in that. So I'm always looking for opportunities. And then the third thing, I'm going to be looking for an opportunity to initially share the gospel, the, the, sh- share Christ with that person. And, uh, and, I'm, and there's a number, number of ways I might do it based on who they are. I may say something like, uh, hey, let me ask you a question. What do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? In other words, I'm just, I'm just going to start a conversation and just talk to them about spiritual things. But again, once I share the gospel, I'm not sharing the gospel every time I see them because, again, I, I, I'm not going to be a person who they think, you know, I hate to see Steve today because this is what he's going to do. Now, here's, here's, here's the uh, servant's heart in doing that. Once you start doing that, you need to make sure that you're serving them. In other words, whatever you can do, which may mean for a neighbor, he says, I'm going on vacation. I may say, hey, when you go on vacation, when you get back, don't worry about it. I'm going to have your yard mowed. Well, I'm going to be out to shoot straight with you. I don't really want to mow their yard. I'm busy. I, I mean, I have no trouble mowing my yard. But you see where I'm going with this. In my circle, the circle, which is where I live, there is no better tipper than me. I'm, I'm just telling you, when I come in the places where you tip, there, there are people that, you know, almost argue they want, they want me. Because, I mean, I'm, because of this, I cannot share Jesus and be an average tipper. I want them to think, man, that guy, he is, he is something. Uh, I jog, and a few years ago, and I don't jog all the time, but I, I jog quite a bit. And outside jogging, if, you, if you're, anybody's a jogger, uh, I mean, your feet get real, can get blistered, whatever. Uh, so my wife told me, you should go get, get a pedicure about once every three months. And she told me, after two years, I'm like, like most men, I ain't going to get no pedicure. <laughs> anyway, so about every quarter, I go get one. I've been going to the same place for 10 years. Something that really pleased me, about three months ago, uh, the lady who was doing it, who has been there the whole time, I guess, been there at least 10 years because I've known her for 10 years. She uh, cut me a little bit or whatever. It didn't hurt, but she was, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, you're good. The owner walked by and heard it, and he said, uh, he smiled and said, it wouldn't matter if it hurt you or not, would it? You wouldn't say anything. I said, mm, probably not. He said, I, I know you wouldn't. I was pleased that as a Christian, they knew because I'm going to tell you, I pastored a church that ran about 2,000 in worship, and the waiters and stuff we won the Christ told me, y'all are different. We, in our business, we do not like the church crowd. And I'm, and I'm just telling you, that's what that, 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 no exception. They're like, they're demanding, they don't tip well, blah, blah, blah. And so that is, that is the only thing about being a witness in your circle. I can't witness at my gym and go in there and cuss. You might, it's like, you've just, you've blown it. So, 
I'm saying that to say this, that is one side of witnessing in your circle is you need to be aware that people know you witnessed. You need to be, I, I was somewhere about a year ago and a person I didn't even know, I'd preached in their church or something. I'm assuming that, in fact, I know that because that's what they said. But they came up to me and said, uh, hey, you don't know me, I was watching you. I was wondering if you were going to pray for your food because I've heard you preach a time or two. And I'm like, okay, I'm it's a good thing I prayed for my food. But my point is I hear those kind of things all the time. When you start witnessing, there are people they are going to kind of take a look at you. You know, are you generous? Are you kind? Are you gracious? Are you in a bad mood every day? Uh, if the stock market goes down, do you, do you act like lost people? Or do you like, hey, God's got this. And so that is, that is the side, I think, of having to develop a servant's heart when it comes to witnessing that uh, you want to be you want to be super generous. Uh, of course, I leave a gospel track. Uh, anytime I go somewhere out to eat, I'm just not going. To, I'm just not going to not be a super generous giver and leave a gospel track. That I'm not saying what you have to do, but I'm saying that is one thing you have to think about. So you know. Yeah. Um, I am an introvert, um, and that that doesn't mean what what a lot of people think. It, thinks it means that doesn't mean I'm shy what an introvert is is someone who gets their energy from being alone and being quiet they get recharged that way being around people drains them extroverts the opposite way being around people energizes them being alone um, causes them to um, get drained Um, so as an introvert uh, I you know tend to do pretty well just in my own thoughts by myself even if if I'm out in public and so um I find myself the the biggest barrier for me witnessing is is not necessarily fear it's that I just genuinely don't know how to talk to people beside me that I don't have a reason to talk to them so I I tell the church a lot that I go um, I I write my sermons at Panera Bread in Tifton I don't write here in the office I go there every week and Mm -hmm. They recognized me. I wasn't there for like three or four weeks when we had our son, and I, I went there last week for the first time, and they're like, where have you been the past few weeks? Because they recognize I come there every week, and um, I do that so that I can be out among public and be, you know, having that influence. But I, about a, of the, all the times I've been there, about 5% of the time that's actually been effective because I just don't know how to talk to people next to me. And I think... Um, Maybe not that bad, but in a rural setting like we are, rural people tend to be reserved as well. They tend to, you know, keep to themselves. That They might talk to people better than I do, but they don't go real deep with people around them. Um, and so with that kind of personality in mind, you know, God made me an introvert. I can't change that. Mm. But how do I intentionally learn to um, talk to strangers around me that I have no reason to talk to? Yeah. Um, and probably the same way you, when God called you to preach, you didn't say, I'm an introvert. How do I get up there and preach? Yeah. You, you, somehow you worked through that. Right. And uh, so going back to my word again, I think being intentional and also there, there's a few phrases in witnessing that if you want to, you could use all the time. For example, I'm constantly handing somebody one of these one-verse tracts and saying, hey, I'd love to give you one of my favorite Bible verses. Well, that's an opening. That's, that's, a, that's a straightforward opening because it's Bible verse. But 
the word Bible in church uh, is not as convicting as Jesus. I mean, there's something about the word Jesus that's just real convicting to people. So it's a great way to introduce or get, you know, get involved. But let me say this. So, so there's a few things I do. So how do you overcome this? Let me give you an example. Going back to my gym. The gym I'm a member of right now, I've been a member about 10 years. For me, uh, like Saturday morning, uh, which was yesterday, I got up. And it's probably my gym about 5 or so. But I'm normally there about 4.30 in the morning because it just works out for me when I'm in town. It's a gym that it's not staffed that early in the morning. It's not staffed till 7. But it's a you know key card entry. But there's always people there. So the first time 10 years ago that I walked in, I noticed that there was a real nice display board with business cards. I mean, really neat, which obviously I thought must be people who work out here. They have a board for them to put business cards. And so I thought, well, let me put two of my one-verse cards here. And I thought this to myself, I'm coming back tomorrow. If they're both gone, I'll put two more out. But if they're gone too quick, part of the manager's throwing them away. Well, I came back the next day, and the two cards were still there. Came back the next time I came, whenever that was, the two cards were still there. The next time I came, one card was there. I said, okay, the manager's not bothering them. They, don't ha they took that board down about, we got new owners there, took that board down like maybe two months ago. So for 10 years, and, and think about this, so sometimes I preach in Georgia. I get to preach sometimes at churches that run 1,500, 2,000, 20. It doesn't matter the size. But yet when I'm at my gym, my ministry, one of them at that gym was, I'm the guy who keeps gospel tracks out. In other words, why not? So about every two or three weeks, the two cards would be gone. I made sure there's always, I didn't want to put too many out there that got too much attention, like, well, this guy... So that's an easy thing to do. Secondly, uh, when people come to your house, they don't come to my house too often for stuff like this, but if, you know, twice a year there's a company that comes out that spray for bugs and stuff. Uh, the other day I had a, a spring on my garage door and the guy, guy came. So anytime that happens, I know it's one of the few times I write checks anymore, I'm going to need to write a check. The intentionality is I get my checkbook out, I lay on the counter, I always put one of the no sweat gospel tracks, if you're in that training day, I put one of those on top of the checkbook and the pen on top of it. That's a reminder. Do not let that guy, this is your house, do not let him, them leave your house. And by the way, they're not going to leave my house until I witness why. Because I write the check. They ain't leaving without the check. <laughs> and so I would be nice anyway but I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally nice when they show up. How you doing, this and that. You want some water or Coke or tea or something? Got granola bars. I'm super nice. When they get ready to leave, now they probably think this is spontaneous. They get ready to leave. They give me the invoice, and I start writing the check. And I'll say something like, well, how far do you live from here? Always assuming it must not be too far or you wouldn't be working in my area. Other day, I live in Jefferson. Jefferson's like maybe 45 minutes from my house. I said, well, that's not too far. I kept writing. I looked up and said, you go to church in Jefferson? Church is the neutral word. 
and they're going to tell me yes or no. And either way, that's not the big deal because it's the next question the most important. He said, I do. I kept writing. I said, well, it's a good, good that you go. Of course, church is important, but it's not the most important thing. And I always paused, and I said, most important thing is your relationship with Jesus. And he happened to be saved. And so I gave him the track anyway. I said, well, I wanted to give this to you. But I checked him out. He was saved. I said, uh, go ahead and take it. Maybe you can give it to somebody. I did ask him this, though. I asked these things occasionally. I said, let me ask you a question. And I could tell once he, he, once he started talking, he was a bubbly Christian. Oh, yeah, man. He talked about his church and when he got saved and all these things. So I asked you a question. So you should go to some of these houses. How, how often do you get witness to? He said, oh, man, just hardly never. Which is sad because you think, well, we got churches everywhere. They're in your house. I mean, this is a person working for you. They're in your house. And so intentionality like that to say, I want to be a witness. Uh, and and it's, it's so ingrained in our house. About two weeks ago, I had traveled like three or four days in a row. And my wife, when I got home, looked at me. We was talking about something. She said, oh, I forgot to tell you when we talked, when you were gone, uh, the battery died in my car. I said, oh, she said, I just called AAA. And then she said, and don't worry. I gave him a good tip and a gospel track, and we talked about it. I said, that's exactly what I was about to ask you. And the reason we would have that conversation is, is because that's, we've decided to be intentional about sharing. We, we've decided to be intentional about talking about Christ. And I don't ever, of course, the, the Holy Spirit may, can convict somebody, could upset somebody. I don't because I'm not angry. I'm not mad. Uh, if they tell me they don't believe there's a God, I'm not, I feel bad for them. Uh, I know there's a God. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not arguing with them. Uh, I don't talk about politics or anything else. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm saying truth of the gospel. And uh, so I think it's just the intentionality. And I do think for anybody, even people who, who don't have a gift of gab, that type of stuff, I, I think there's certain things that you can use over and over and over again uh, to share Christ. For example, I'm just telling you, the next, time, the next time a service person comes to my house, I'm telling you, it's the same every time. I'm going to have my checkbook out. I'm going to have that gospel track. I'm going to have the pen. It's just a routine. They're going to give me the invoice. I'm going to start writing the check. I'm going to pause and say, where you live? And wherever it is, if it's an hour, wherever it is. That's not too bad, not too far. And then I'm going to say, hey, you go to church there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build up to the gospel and find out, do you really know Christ? Have you really made a decision for Christ? So it's, just, it's, just the, so, so it's, the, same, it's the same thing over and over. And, and, I, and by the way, I find, that, I find that everywhere I go, how, however I'm going to do it, if it's this one-verse one card, I just nobody told me to do it this way. It's just natural for me. I love Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a great verse. I just say, hey, I'd love to give you one of my favorite verse. I love this verse. And I say it just like that. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm not faking it. Uh, and so there's probably 10 or 12 ways that I'm consistently sharing something, but it's like, it's like this is a routine. It's different ways of doing it, but the routine's the same on each of those, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, yeah, those are good. Good things to, to think about and ways to go into that. Um, all right, final question, just kind of a maybe sobering final question. Um, what happens if a church doesn't evangelize? So there's a few things that happens. First of all, it's possible that a church can go out of business as far as now the church is not going to go out, but a local church, 
because uh, there's local churches that, you know, do go out of business. A second that can happen is the church doesn't close down. It still meets, but there's very few baptisms. There's very few life uh, changes in it. Uh, very few people getting saved because, again, we're not sowing enough seeds. You know, and, and, like, and like I say, I always looked when I pastored, what are we doing to sow seeds in the community? And uh, would come up with a strategy, like what do we need to do where we live, and every area can be different, but where we live, what is it that we can do? It's going to be a combination of things. What can we do to impact lostness in the area that we live in? So, Yeah. Yeah, if they, if we um, don't evangelize, then um, you know, as the people die, the church dies. Um, that's always good to remember. Um, we're at an hour, but uh, but I told you we would uh, give you an opportunity for questions on the floor. Um, do, does any maybe we'd take one, uh, maybe two? Any questions from the floor about anything related to to witnessing? Okay. Well, um, Steve, thank you so much for, for all that you've done for us today. I know that you've got to get back to Atlanta. Um, and so um, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for Steve, and I thank you for all that he's taught us today. Lord, I pray that we will take it and, uh, and apply it and um, grow in witnessing. Lord, I pray that for myself, first of all, um, as, um, as the church culture is always going to be, um, always going to eventually do, how, do things how I do things. Um, and so um, I have to be a, a more faithful witness, so help me. Um, and Lord, I pray for us that we would um, look for those opportunities around us to be intentional, to open our mouths about Jesus, um, to invite people to church. And Lord, I, I praise you for three baptisms this morning. I pray for many more like that. Um, Lord, I, I pray that we would um, never grow tired of seeing people um, baptized and um, joining the church and, and becoming disciples of you. Be with Steve as he goes back to Atlanta tonight, and Lord, I pray that he has a safe drive and continue to use him um, to um, share the gospel with those around him and ultimately to encourage and strengthen churches to evangelize as well. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.